0: Morning One Hope. Hope you're all keeping safe and staying active uh, during this lockdown. Really miss you guys. Can't wait to get back into church and worship together and pray together. Will you just join me in reading from the Psalms? We're reading from Psalm five today. Listen to my words, Lord, consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning I lay my requests before you and wait expectantly. For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and deceitful you, Lord, detest. But I, by your great love, can come into your house. In reverence, I bow down toward your holy temple. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with malice. Their throat is an open grave, with their tongues they tell lies. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad, let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous, you surround them with your favour as with a shield.
1: Wonderful. Thank you, Isaac, for reading our passage this morning and welcome to you all. Uh, for those of who may not know me, my name is Joel. I am one of the pastors here. And um, for those of you who call One Hope your home uh, and you're part of the family, um, I miss you. It's been a long time, but I'll be back in a few weeks and uh, hopefully I'll see you all on Zoom after the service at 11.30. Um, it'll be great to catch up with some of you and see you there. Um, For those of you who might be visiting, maybe today's your first time online with us or maybe you've been joining in numerous times, um, welcome to you especially. It's great to have you with us and um, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to um, have you message us, maybe email us. We'd love to know how we can connect with you more and maybe, um, yeah, just touch base, see uh, how you're going, how we can best serve you, but yeah, really great to have you with us online. this morning we are continuing, as you hopefully know, through our psalm a series. We've been preaching through the first seven, we've been reading a psalm a day, and today we are on Psalm 5, so I want to encourage you to have your Bibles open, because we're going to literally go through this sort of section by section, would encourage you to take some notes, maybe um, share some thoughts in the comments, things that stand out for you, and um, come on this journey with us as we read God's word and hear his voice together. Um, The first thing we note right at the start is that this is a psalm of David. Uh, It's written for the flutes, so Anitan, this one is uh, for you. And um, there's no exact time or dates or clues given as to when this was written. Um, But you can imagine the life of David. This is a guy who lived many ups and downs. Uh, He sort of had the heights of victories over Goliath and success in battle, the golden age of Israel in a way and the lows of fleeing from people trying to kill him. He had family breakdown as his sons tried to take the throne from him as his daughter was raped by one of her half-brothers. Like It's just a bit of mess within his family and yet He continues to be a man after God's own heart and sort of this standard for what it means for the kings of Israel to follow God and some point in his life he writes this prayer and we want to unpack it Uh, we're going to see the how he prays why he prays what he prays for and then right at the end we get a promise of blessing so why don't you follow through we're going to read the how he prays starts off in verse 1 Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry. And here's the key part. My King and my God, for to you do I pray. My King and my God, for to you do I pray. You know, we see throughout Israel's history that, that there, was, um, there were other options. There were other gods who they could pray to. There were other people, other nations who they could turn to for help. And yet, time and time again, in all of David's lows, in all of his struggles, he turns to God and God alone. In the midst of his struggle, his prayer is, for to you do I pray. Which is really this this grand statement of faith. You know, we all have different options. We all have different things that we can trust in to bring us hope or to bring us satisfaction to help us or to give us strength. And yet David has these words and these groans and these cries in his heart. And he goes to God, for to you do I pray, because it's, it is God who he trusts. You see, who we call upon shows who we trust will come through for us. Or what we call upon shows what we trust will come through for us. You know, when, when we were kids and, and maybe slightly older kids as well, Uh, If you wanted extra dessert at home, you'd ask dad. You wouldn't ask mum, but you'd ask dad because you knew dad would say yes. Um, On the flip side, if you wanted some new clothes or if you wanted to go shopping, you'd ask mum because she was quite happy to get off the couch and go shopping with you. Do you know what I mean? Like, who you called upon showed who you trusted would come through for you. And so for us, if we want. Salvation, if we want breakthrough, if we want change, if we want hope and joy and peace, and if we want healing and restoration, if we want answers and clarity, if we want wisdom and love, let us go to the one who can actually give it, to the one who's created all of it, and the good giver of gifts. Let us go to God, for to you do I pray. Would that be our heart? Would that be our lives? Prayer directed to God. Let's call upon him in every season, in every moment, each and every day. For to you do I pray. The second thing we notice about how David prays is his confidence. Have a look at verse 3 where it says, For you too I pray, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. In the morning you hear my voice. There's no ifs or buts. There's no maybes or if I do the right thing, you'll hear me. It's just this real simple, you hear my voice. It's this confidence, this assurance that David knows that God hears his children. And a real simple encouragement for us this morning is that God, God hears you. God hears your heart's cry, your groanings, the words of your prayer. God hears you. As we've heard over the last few weeks, he's a good father. He is sovereign in the chaos and he hears his children. Just like any parent, you know, when they hear the sound of their cry or their children's cry, you know, you, they can hear it through everything else and they leap to action. They go and they help because they love and they care their children. They know the sound of their cry. And so just know again this morning, be confident and assured that God hears the voice of his children. No ifs, no buts. In the morning, he hears our voice. And one last practical note on this psalm is I want you to notice the movement of it in verse 3. It says that David cries out to God, that God hears his voice. But then in verse 3, In the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. So he cries out, he prays to God, But he also then prepares a sacrifice, which is David's way of saying that he is obedient in worshipping and giving thanks to God. You know, Philippians 4, it says that we are to present our requests to God. We are to bring our prayers and our supplications with thanksgiving. And this isn't just sometimes it says in every situation we are to do this. In every situation we are to pray, bring our requests to God with thanksgiving. If we can pray to God we can give thanks to God if we can pray it means that we have breath it means that we've been drawn into this relationship it means that the spirit is working within us it means that we are under grace so we can boldly approach the throne of God we can do it all through his atoning sacrifice of Jesus like if we can pray we can give thanks and we see it time and time again in the Psalms where the psalms express these deep groanings, this anguish, this prayer, this cry. But at the same time, they express praise and thanks and worship. So don't forget your praise and your worship in your struggle and your suffering. You know, and I don't want to extend this too far, because I think sometimes we can get carried away and we can say, you know what, it's our weapon. And if we just praise God in the storm, he'll give us you know, the desires of our heart and we need to, you know, declare it with faith. And like, I don't think that's what David's saying here. This is not, I'm preparing a sacrifice so that you'll do what I say. No, he's just preparing a sacrifice because it's the right and obedient thing to do. God is worthy of praise. Always. Full stop. It might not change anything It might not even change anything within you, but it is the right and obedient thing to do that. As children of God, we worship God. So lift up your prayers. Lift up your praise. And then the third part of David's movement here is that it says he prepares a sacrifice and a watch. It's like preparing someone who stands on guard, who looks out, who in the NIV it says waits in expectation. You see, I think this is the complete faithful prayer. It's taking our request to God. It is honoring him worship and worshiping praise, And it was also waiting expectantly for God to answer. Now, the answer might be different to what we hope for, and that's a whole other sermon. But my question is, do you even wait for the answer? Or do you sort of, you know, shoot an arrow to heaven and then look at it for a moment and then move on and start solving the problem in your own strength, not even waiting for God to respond? Faithful prayer that we see here of David, we're looking at how he prays and there is bringing his requests. There is this movement of worship and of waiting. And I want to encourage you this morning to keep waiting on God. For what you have prayed for, to keep worshiping in that moment, to call upon Him, knowing that He hears and He answers. You know, what is it for you? What do you need to learn practically from these verses? Maybe it's the direction of His prayer, maybe it's the confidence, maybe it's the movement. What is it for you that stands out from David's prayer, and how can that inform your prayer life this week? It's important that we look at the how of David prays. But what I love about this psalm is that it continues on. Verse 4, we get some reasons why David prays. Have a read of verse 4. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. David says, I prepare a sacrifice and watch for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. It's probably not the reason you were thinking of, but David says here, I prepare a sacrifice and I watch for, because you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Once again, probably not what we're thinking of, but I, what I believe David is saying here is, says, I pray and I worship and I watch because you are perfect, because you are perfect. Righteous, He's just stating it here in the, in the negative sense. Um, it would be like us. Instead of saying, um, darling, what a wonderful meal. It would be saying, darling, you do not know how to cook a bad meal. Unfresh ingredients are just not worthy of your you know, kitchen. You know, it's this, David's a creative. He's a musician. He's a songwriter. He finds different ways to say the same thing. And here he's saying, God, you're perfect, you're righteous. There is no wickedness within you. There's no evil in your sight. So David cries out. He prays, he worships, he waits for an answer because for God is righteous. He is holy. He is perfect. There is no wickedness and evil within him. But the challenging nature of these verses is that when you pause to think about it and you consider it, you begin to realize what it means for us because David clarifies what this means. Verse 5. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. You know, all of a sudden you, you slow down a little bit. And you start to think about those words. Boastful. Yeah, I, I can I can be a little bit boastful. There you know, I do a few good things and I get a little bit confident in myself. You know, I wouldn't describe myself as evil, but I I can do some evil things. I have some evil thoughts. I, I can be violent or angry. I can be, you know, maybe not bloodthirsty, but I certainly want God to, you know, deal with some of these people that I disagree with. I can tell a few lies. I can be a bit deceitful to try and get my own way, to try and get my own thing. And you start to realize that none of us can stand before a perfect God. None of us can dwell with this righteous God. That we all fit into this category of evil and wicked and David says none of us no one can stand before God but we get this beautiful verse in verse 7 but I through the abundance of your steadfast love will enter your house I will bow down toward your holy temple in fear of you you know, David is writing this well and truly before the cross. And so he's really reflecting on covenant love. You know, When you read steadfast love in, in the Psalms, it often means God's covenant love. It speaks of God choosing the Israelites, promising to be their God, promising to never leave them or forsaking, forsake them, promising to bless them if they were to walk with him. David recognizes that there is evil all around and that there is this sin within him, that he's not worthy of being in the presence of God and yet he knows that there's a way in which is through his abundant and steadfast love. You see, in the Old Testament, to enter the house, which in this psalm for David would have been the tabernacle and later on would have been the temple, to enter into this house meant a strict process of cleansing, and sacrifice it was just, it was washing yourself clean but also paying for your sin by sacrificing a clean animal there was payment that needed to be made there was a process to get into the temple into the tabernacle into the house and this psalm simply states that no one is clean enough to go in But David rejoices that God has provided a way in his love. He has provided a way, a law and a sacrificial system for David to be able to enter the house. And he rejoices in that. And how much more then should we on this side of the cross? You know, Romans 3 actually quotes this psalm. And in Romans 3, it says, no one is righteous, not even one. None of us are clean But it goes on to talk about how we are declared righteous through Jesus. That Jesus comes, as we see in John, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the perfectly clean one who dies in our place so that we can enter the house. So that we can be in God's presence. And this is a once for all gift. It happens once and it covers all sin but it is a gift that needs to be received by faith. As it says in 1 Peter, Christ suffered once for sins. The righteous died for the unrighteous. Why? So that he might bring us to God, so that we could go into his house, so that we could be in the presence of God, in this relationship with him. You can enter the house, Even though you are dressed in dirty rags. You know, imagine being on the steps, the doorstep of this perfectly clean, holy mansion, this incredible place. And Jesus swoops in and he washes you clean, gives you a new robe, and he says, Welcome home. We're not worthy of that place. We're not able to go in in our own strength, but through Jesus, through his abundant love. We receive mercy and grace and we can enter into the house. And so this is why we pray. This is why we worship. This is why we wait for God in awe and in reverence. We bow down because of this good news. Because of his abundant love, we get access to the throne. And so let us boldly approach day by day. It is the greatest honor, the greatest privilege in the world, throughout all of history, this is the best gift that we can approach God. So as David says, may this be the line. And I encourage you to write it down somewhere in your house. I encourage you to memorize it today. But I, through your, the abundance of your steadfast love, I will enter your house. May that encourage you. May you know the truth of that, that through his love we enter his house, we get to be in his presence. That is the heart of why David cries out. That is the heart of why David approaches God because he knows through his love he's allowed in. But here then in verse 8, so we've seen the how, we've seen why David prays is because of his love. But in verse 8, we get the actual request of David. We see what he actually prays for. Verse 8, Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. David says, Lead me in righteousness. Lead me in this right living. And if we go back a few weeks ago, you know, I spoke on Psalm 1. We know that there's blessing in the way of the Lord. this way of the righteous is blessed it is the right way to live and david knows that he knows that this is the best way to live he's wanting to follow god and he's asking god to make this way straight make it a bit easier a bit clearer help me know how to walk with you and i think this is a prayer that we all need to pray in our day and our age like we need to pray like god make this way straight help us to know which way to go Help us to follow in your steps, because we believe and we know it's the right way to live. And once again, David explains why he prays this. He says, lead me in your righteousness because of my enemies. And in verse 9, David clarifies what's wrong with his enemies. Verse 9, for or because there's no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with The tongue. Says there's no truth. There's there's destruction. They flatter with these words, but beneath it all is death and destruction. You know, and we see this in our world, don't we? We we see the confusion and the complexity as every side of our world twists the truth to try and suit their own agenda and their purpose to try and take us away from the truth of God. We see it in the destruction of sin. You know, the flattering words seduce us to, you know, things like maybe alcohol, which is not always a bad thing, but you follow that path long enough. You get seduced and you listen to the flattering words and the advertisements each and every day. And you follow that path long enough and it's destructive. It's destructive physically. And, you know, I've seen seeing it here as destructive in relationships and in violence and in abuse. And, you know, it's a flattering words of our world. And substitute alcohol for any other worldly vice. And you see that you follow that path long enough and leads to destruction. And so we cry out to God like David, lead us in righteousness, show us the way, make it straight and easier for us to follow. But it's important that we recognise also that this isn't just a worldly problem. This isn't just about material things that we need to worry about. This is predominantly a spiritual problem. See, we find ourselves in a spiritual war and the father of lies is on the other side. In some harsh language, this is how John Eldridge puts it. He says, we are at war and the bloody battle is over our hearts. I am astounded how few Christians see this, how little they protect their hearts. We act as though we live in a sleepy little town during peacetime. We don't. We live in the spiritual equivalent of Bosnia or Beirut. So act like it. Watch over your heart. Don't let anything in. Don't let it go just anywhere. Friends, we are in a war. And C.S. Lewis says that we're not to overestimate that. Um, and live in like absolute fear. But he also says, don't underestimate that. And I think that is far more likely in our secular society is that we completely forget the spiritual war and the spiritual forces that are at work. As Paul says, like, it's not, our, our war is not against flesh and blood. There's a spiritual dimension to everything that we're going through. And so we need to ask God to lead us in righteousness. Make the way straight. Go before us. Know that he has given his word, he has given his spirit, he will fight for us, he has given us armor to fight in and he will give us what we need. But be alert, be on guard, watch over your heart, ask God to lead you, to guide you and then may we have the courage and the strength and the faith to actually follow in that each and every day. And lastly, this psalm, it finishes with a promise and some implications of that promise. Have a look at verse 11. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. You see, this is a twist on this theme of refuge that we've been talking about. It shows essentially the next step. You know, it's saying, you know, our world, there's no truth, there's, there's no uh, righteousness, there's evil and there's wickedness. And so we ask God to, you know, in verse 10, it says, we ask God to, to bring judgment and to bring justice and to deal with the evil in our world. And we should pray that same prayer. We should ask God to come quickly and to end that. But at the same time, we take refuge in God. We know that he is a safe fortress. And if we've found that safety, we rejoice. See, we've been focusing on God, our refuge, but this Psalm takes us to the next step. If you've found your refuge, then you rejoice. You sing for joy. You exalt the name of God. You know, picture this scene in Lord of the Rings where the people of Rohan are sort of wandering through the wilderness. And they've been attacked, and then finally they see Helm's Deep. They see this mighty fortress that's never been defeated. It's never been overcome. And all of a sudden, they start running. They rejoice. They they look at each other and we said, we've made it. We're, we're, finally, we're here. Because they believe they've found a refuge and a fortress that will keep them safe. And so they rejoice. It's the natural next step. It's the natural next step. Um, the implication, if you if you found refuge, you rejoice. Now, of course, the metaphor sort of falls a little short because spoiler alert Helm's Deep gets a little bit overcome because Saramon has some, some dark magic up his sleeves. But the metaphor also works because our God is far greater than Helm's Deep and He knows the schemes of the enemy and he is a great and mighty fortress. He is our refuge and our strength, our ever-present help in time of need. So know that there is a refuge that we can cling to, and in that clinging, we can also rejoice. There's no better place for us than safe in the arms of Jesus. And so if you are in his refuge and strength, I encourage you to also rejoice And to sing for joy, to praise his name and exalt him forever. Because he has given you that refuge from the evil and the wickedness that is all around us. We are allowed into this house, so let us worship and let us give thanks. And why can we do this? Well, verse 12, we get the final promise. Because you will bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as a shield. God will bless the righteous. And as we heard before, we're not. But because of God's love and mercy, we are declared righteous through Jesus. Though our sins are red as scarlet, we are washed white as snow. These verses declare a promise for us, an assurance for those who believe that you will be blessed. Not in the way that the world says, but in an eternal sense that God will look after his people. Charles Spurgeon says this Jehovah has ordained his people the heirs of blessedness, and nothing shall rob them of their inheritance. We hold on to this refuge with joy because we know that there is an eternal inheritance of blessing, and nothing can take that away. Once God has you in his hand, nothing can rob you from that place for all eternity. So rejoice and know. The inheritance of of God that is yours in Christ. And not only that, God will bless the righteous, but he also covers them with favor as a shield. Yeah, you know, the other week Andrew explained the picture of a shield that covers us all around protection. See, so that is what a shield is for, it's to protect. As Paul writes in Ephesians 6, he says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. You know, this psalm makes it clear that there is evil and there's wickedness around, that there are flattering voices that try to seduce us to sin and that, you know, take us away from God. And yet, at the end, it says, but you have a shield to extinguish the darts, to, to actually stop the attacks of the evil one, a shield of faith this shield of favor. I think favor is just about believing that God is for you, that he loves you, that he's made you right through Jesus, that he has you eternally held within his hand, that he extends grace towards you, he has chosen you. These are all things of his favor. He loves you and he is for you. So start extinguishing the lies of the enemy. The criticism of man, the mocking of society, the flattery and seduction of sin, start extinguishing those arrows by saying, you know what? No, I am a child of God. He loves me. He cares for me. He's chosen me. He, He will bless me. He will give me what I need. He will bring me safe to eternity. I am safe. I have a refuge. I have found joy and peace. So believe him. Believe his word. Trust in his promise know that he loves you and he is for you and we can take refuge in him so I pray this morning that you would turn to him that you would pray that you would call out to God in your distress in your anguish, in your despair that you would turn to him and pray to him know that through his love and mercy we are declared righteous we are welcomed into the house where we can worship where we can wait may his word and his spirit lead us in righteousness and may we rejoice in this refuge may we sing for joy that we are safe in the arms of jesus and so to close off i just want to read the words of this hymn there are you know, 150 years old or something like that, I want to encourage you just to maybe close your eyes or you can read along with the words and just ponder this truth for a moment, that you are safe in the arms of Jesus and that may you rejoice in that again. It goes like this. Safe in the arms of Jesus, safe on his gentle breast, there by his love overshaded, sweetly my soul shall rest hark this is a song of heaven born in the sweetest voice echoed by saints in spirit making my heart rejoice safe in the arms of jesus safe from corroding care safe from the world's temptations sin cannot harm me there free from the blight of sorrow free from my doubts and fears. Only a few more trials, only a few more tears. Jesus, my heart's dear refuge, Jesus has died for me. Firm on the rock of ages, ever my trust shall be. Here, let me wait with patience. Wait till the night is over. Wait till I see the morning break on the golden shore.